Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given to us. And we ask that we would learn from it now, that you would speak to each of us individually and us as a church collectively. You'd move in the way you want to move. This is your word, and so we want to honor and respect and hear your voice in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the opening thought for us is, is that we are, we are in our ancestry. We are in it. We are products of it. We have some alignment with our ancestry that it impacts us in, and it tells us who we are in a number of ways. So if you see my name, my last name is actually Dutch. It's actually Fries. But if you were to really do some blood sampling, I think you'd find that I'm actually probably more German than anything. So the name is Dutch, but probably more German in the blood. And so when you think about being a German, any other Germans in here? Yeah, you think of what, is it, what, what are things you think, I'm German, I'm in that flow of humanity, I'm in that lineage. There's lots of cultural things you think of with Germany. Some things are silly things. Some people are thinking Leavenworth and Lederhosen and polka and beer and brats and sausages and breads and mustard. Right? That's kind of cultural German. Anybody own Lederhosen? He's just checking. Pancakes, yeah, all that stuff. Then there's the part of German that there's the precision automotives, right? We've got the Mercedes and the Audis and the Beamers and the Porsche and I don't know about the other two so much. But, uh, right, precision, luxury, automotives, that's, you know, typifies Germany of, of these high speed. And we're going to take it through the Alps and it's going to work wonderful. That's part of being in, in the ancestry of being German. Those are things that are German culture and German story, and it's part of you to some degree. But then there's the bad side, right? There's the bad side of German with a couple world wars and the Nazi regime. That's all part of the German story. There's the part of the story where there was communist Germany and divided Berlin Wall, and so you have East Germany and West Germany and East Berlin and, and that story. And... and uh, I vividly remember watching the movie as a kid where they built a hot air balloon to sail over the wall. Anybody ever watched that movie? Yeah, I don't know why that came into my head, but it just randomly did. That's also part of being a German. That's also part of the ancestry. That we're, we're in it in some way. It doesn't mean you made those choices. It doesn't mean that you thought of how to be, or that I thought of how to make a BMW. I don't have the first clue. Right? But it also means I didn't, believe those Nazi ideals. I, I had no thought of those. But that's part of the German story. It's part of the ancestry. It's part of what that means to be in that line. Those things go with it. And so whatever your ancestry background has some very positive things and probably has some very negative things. And it's just part of the story. You're born into it. You didn't choose it. You didn't come up with it. It's part of it. And so today's our, our Bible passage. We're, we believe in just preaching the Bible here, reading the passage. This next passage talks about what is it like to be in the ancestry of Adam. Adam is the first human. The name Adam really just means human or the man. That's what his name means. He's the first one. What does it mean to be in Adam? To be in the ancestry of the first human. So if you're here and you're a human, then you're a human in the ancestry of Adam, right? It's not like, well, I don't want to be. No, you just are. He was the first human, Adam and Adam and Eve together, the first human couple. 
And so you're, if you're descended from them, you're in Adam. And so there's things you inherit, both positive and negative. We're going to see that. The positive, we inherit being made in the image of God and being his children. But then the negative we're going to see means we inherit sin. But then we're going to consider what does it mean to be in Christ? And Jesus Christ comes. God the Son takes on flesh. He's the, the new human, the perfect human. What does it mean to be in Christ, to be in his ancestry and his lineage? So we're going to look at this point today. This is the main point. Live in the life-giving reign of Christ. That's where we're going. I like to give the main point right up front. Live in the life-giving reign of Christ. That's where we want to be. That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to see it comparing these two different ancestries or lines of Adam and Christ. So we're in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. We'll read it first all together, and it's kind of a, it's a bit of a tricky section. It's, it's a bit challenging. It goes back and forth, and our hope is it will make some sense of this today and this whole idea of ancestry, lineage, Adam and Christ. So Romans 5, 5 verse 12, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's what we're going to go after here today. Living in the life, live in the life-giving reign of Christ. We're going to work to make sense of that. And so today I actually got some different diagrams that I think are going to help. I think they're going to help. We're going to see two reigns or two lines. We have the line of Adam the line of the man who failed and sinned, and then the line of Jesus Christ, the line who gave himself. So we're going to look at those two things. And what does it mean to be in Adam? What does it mean to be in Christ? And make sense of this text here. So first, in verse 12, it's what does it mean to be in Adam? To be in his descendant, in, in his line, to be human. I've got the crown there because we're going to see language in this passage about Adam and what reigned or what ruled or what had authority because of him. 
So what does it mean to be in Adam? And we'll see that in verse uh, 12, right? The first one is understanding the reign of Adam. That's point one. What does it mean that Adam reigned? What is that? What are we talking about? What does it mean to be in Adam that he reigned? 512. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so the, the understanding of the scriptures is that sin came into the world through one man. And that's the story in the Garden of Eden, that God creates a beautiful world. He creates everything in it, and he creates a man and a woman. And he makes a beautiful garden for them. God says, God planted a garden. And in Genesis 2.16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Beautiful fruits that are perfectly ripened in the perfect world's perfect sun. I love fresh fruits off trees. Do you? I love fresh apples. You really want to get one. Fresh peaches. Mm, We're getting somewhere now. Love fresh peaches. Just think of that. Eat any of it. It's all ripe. It's all ready to go. Eat any of it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. One rule. One rule, right? It's one rule. Eat everything. Have a ball. But don't eat that one tree. And of course, if you know the story in Genesis 3, they're tempted and they do eat of it. Adam and Eve together eat of it. Humanity eats of it. And it doesn't mean they fall over dead on the spot, but it introduces death into the world. So death has come in. And it's passed to all men. And that's what it's saying here in Romans 5.12. Just as sin came into the world through one man. The first people, Adam and Eve, they've sinned. And the result is death. God did not create humanity to die. Death entered because of sin. So it says, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now this is a part I don't like very much. What does this mean? They sinned. How come it comes to me? It says it's death spread to everyone. So death spread to all. What does it mean because all sinned? I wasn't there. Were you there? When you just run up and slap their hand? No, don't listen to that serpent. Don't do it. Right? We know the end of the story. But What does it mean that all sinned? Did we sin like Adam? So when it, this is one thought. When it says all sin, do we sit like Adam? Do we follow Adam's example? And then when we're, we are presented with an opportunity, do this or don't do this, we do the wrong thing. Well, this certainly is true. The Bible is very clear. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin like Adam. We all disobey God. We all start in that place. That's true. I don't think that's what this passage is saying in this verse. It is true, but that's not what it's getting at. It's saying we sin in Adam. We sin in Adam, right? We are in the sin of Adam. He is the representative head, the same way that I'm in the ancestry of a German. I have nothing to do with their choices, nothing to do with their past, but I'm descended from them. It's part of my story. I don't get to pick it. It's just how it is. And so this idea that Adam was there and Adam and sinned and no one existed except Adam and Eve. And so every human comes from Adam and Eve. So in a sense, every human was wrapped up potentially inside of them. And so as they sinned, we all sinned. That's what the scripture's saying. I don't like it. 
I don't, but that's what this passage is telling us. We all sinned in the sin of Adam. Now, we willingly participate in our own sin when it comes to your turn to be alive and be born. But theologically, he's saying when you're in Adam, because you're a human, you're born in the race of Adam, you, you inherit the sin of Adam, so death spreads to all. And so he's going to go on to prove that point. And what you'd have to supply here in front of verse 13 is the question, well, what about the law? Just supply that question. He kind of answers that. Well, what about the law, the law of Moses? What about the Ten Commandments? What role does that play? That comes much, much later than Adam. That comes with Moses. So wasn't that when sin was really there? And isn't that when it showed us? So you just kind of need to supply that question. It says, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. So what are we talking about? I don't know if you've seen these. Sometimes we like to watch America's Funniest Videos, but you can see them on YouTube. It's actually quite mean. I don't recommend it. But what this, the scene is, is someone, the mom or dad, will set up a cell phone in the kitchen, and then they'll put their little kid at the kitchen ta- counter, and they'll plop a plate of cookies or candy, and they'll say, I'm going to go out of the room for two minutes. Don't eat it. And then they go out of the room, and then we're watching on the camera, of course. And you're seeing some kids just sit there calmly. Other kids are tortured. You can just see it, and they're kind of touching and touching. And then there's other kids. The second the mom walks out of the room, they're just like, you know, they just start minding. There's not even, sometimes there's two kids, and the one's trying to stop them. And you just see the wrestling and the, which kid's going to be the rebel and which kid's going to be compliant. You just see it. But it's very, it's very torturous, but it does make funny videos. But the point is, that's what Paul's telling us. If there's no rule, then you're not counting sin. You're not adding it up. So if the mom puts a plate of cookies on the counter and just leaves the room and the kid walks by and eats the cookie, they didn't break the rule because there was no rule, right? Mom didn't say eat the cookie. Mom didn't say don't eat the cookie. There's just a plate of cookies. And if you're like me and there's a plate of cookies... I'm looking for some coffee, and those will be eaten, right? They kind of got to, I'm a Baptist. I baptize the cookie. So there's no rule. Then there's no sin to account for. But the moment mom says none, or you can only have one, whatever the rule is, suddenly the law has been laid down, and now you know. You either kept the rule or you broke the rule. And so that's kind of what verse 13 is talking. You're asking the question, well, what about the law and sin? He says, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted when there's no law. So if there's not a law, if there's not a rule, if it's not been told to you, then you're not breaking the law and it's not counting against your credit negatively. So saying, yes, yeah, see, so the law points out sin. But then he says in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So he's saying the penalty for sin was in the world before the law was given. That's what he's saying. So you can't say, well, people didn't break laws they didn't know. Say, well, clearly the penalty for sin, which is death, existed from the moment Adam and Eve sinned into forever. You didn't need to have a law to demonstrate that people are born into sin and receive the consequence of sin because people died that whole time. Now, later he's going to talk about the role of the law. But the whole point here, he's saying, look, we, ha- we know that sin was in the world because people died. You didn't need a law to make that point. As soon as Adam and Eve rebelled, 
All humanity after them are born into that same sin, and the penalty of death is there. And the sin, even if there was no law to say it, he's saying even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Adam had a clear rule, and he broke it. And you say, maybe I didn't have a clear rule. Yeah, but you're born in Adam's race. So that's what he's establishing. He says that he is a type of the one who was to come. So sin, the concept, we're born into sin, we're born into Adam's race. Whether there was a law or not, whether you knew the rule or not, you're born into sin. And the reason you know that is the penalty of sin is on you, which is death. We all die. But then he says Adam was in the world and he was a type. It means an archetype or a pattern. The way Adam was in the world is the way, and the thing, the way that it works with Adam is the way it's going to future work with Christ. The Bible does this a lot, where there's one character or one individual, and that individual is pointing us to a greater story in Jesus. You see that with Moses. Moses talked with God. Moses was God's mouthpiece, and Moses foreshadows. He's a type of Christ who is God's mouthpiece. He's the prophet to come. You see it with King David. David was a king after God's own heart, and he led he led God's people, and Jesus is it's pointing to Jesus as the king. So here he's saying Adam is a type. In what way is Adam a type or a pattern of Jesus who was to come? And here's the way it is. The actions of one impact the rest. That's how Adam is a type of Christ. Adam's actions impact the rest of humanity, just like the one to come, Jesus' actions impact the rest of humanity. That's how he's a type or a pattern. So we're going to show you in, in a couple ways. First, contrast. You know, in school, they ever, ever say compare and contrast? How are they similar? How are they different? That's what Paul does with us here. First, he starts with contrasting. How is Adam's reign and Christ's reign? How are they different? Contrast the reigns of Adam and Christ. That's in verses 15 through 17. But the free gift is not like. See, that's contrasting language. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Isn't that amazing? See that language? Much more. Not like. Much more. We're contrasting. The one man brought death Jesus Christ brought an abundance of grace. Don't you love that? Verse 16, the free gift is not like, again, we're contrasting. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So back to the diagram, I just put them there. These are, there's three verses contrasting. The actions of one man, many died in Adam. That's different in Christ, many didn't die. Many received abundant grace. So that's very different, right? One brought death, one brought grace. The actions of Adam, sin brought condemnation. When you stand before God, guilty verdict, you're guilty of sin, you face the death penalty, both physical and spiritual. But the act of Jesus brought justification, declared innocent, declared righteous. 
And then in verse 17, it says, death reigned. As soon as death entered the world, it's passed to every human. It reigns. You can't say no. You can't rebel against death. Even the most nutritious eating, even the most healthy, even the best medical care in the world, still death reigns. It's undefeated, except in Christ, right, who defeated it. So as here, it says in Christ, what reign, we reign in life. When you come to Christ, look at that verse 17, because of the abundant grace of the free gift of righteousness, you will reign in life. So when you're in Christ, you're looking forward to the same death, but it isn't the same death. It's a door that opens. You die and you arrive in the presence of God, looking to his coming, looking for the resurrection. Very different, right? One brings death, condemnation, affects many. One brings grace, justification, and the idea that we reign in life. We don't fear death. So that's how they're different. Now this is compare, right? Compare and contrast. How are they the same? The reigns of Adam and Christ. We're going to compare them. This is verses 18, 19, and 21. We're going to skip 20. Right? Therefore, as. See, that's comparing language. As, in the same way. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for men, all men, so, like in the same way, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as, we're doing comparisons again, as, so, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And then we'll come back to 20, pick up verse 21. So that as, comparing language, as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look at the chart. So this is how they're the same, how they're comparing. Right? One act, they're comparing the one act, one act of sin and one act of righteousness. It was one act of sin when Adam and Eve disobeyed. It was one act of righteousness when Jesus went to that cross, said yes to the Father. Right? He was in that moment praying in the garden. He says, Lord, if this cup can pass, but not my will, your will. Right? So one man's disobedience brought condemnation. One man's obedience brings justification. So again, you see the comparing is the one man, one act, one act, one man's obedience. The comparing sin reigned in death. It's comparing the reigns. Sin reigns in death, but under Christ... Grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life. Grace reigns. Continual reign of the kindness of God towards us. It might reign to eternal life. The reign of death is broken. The reign of sin is broken in Christ. And we now enter his grace for eternity. That's a pretty good comparison. That's a pretty good contrast. So I skip verse 20. What's this? Someone, again, would supply the question, well, what was the whole law of Moses thing for? Why were these Ten Commandments given? And he says, well, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Wow. The law came in to increase it, not because God said, I want a whole bunch more sin. He said, I want it to be utterly clear. I want you to absolutely know the standard. So when God lays down the Ten Commandments, here they are. Now we have a standard, and now sin's increasing because we can count it and track it. 
And he's saying, look, we all fall short. We all fail number one. We have other gods. We all fail these commandments. So when the law is given, it makes it abundantly clear when you break the law. Every time you pass a speed, speed sign and you're not following that speed sign, it's abundantly clear. And the longer the officer follows you, I watched you pass six speed limit signs that you have disobeyed all six of them, right? The law came in, sin increased. You know the standard. Whether you do it or not, doesn't matter. You're breaking it. But grace abounded all the more. The grace of God is enough to overcome all the sin, all the rebellion through the act of Christ. And that's the whole point of this whole comparison, right? That we want to live in the life-giving reign of Christ. That's where we want to be. We don't want to continue to live in the death-bearing reign of Adam. That's what you're born into. That's where we start, and we have the opportunity to step into the reign of Christ. You default to Adam. Just like I was born a Dutch German. I had no, no say in the matter. Just how I was born. But we can move to be in the life of Christ. We're born in the reign of Adam. Death, condemnation, sin. But in Christ you can move to the reign of life. And it's by faith. We, read, we saw this a few months ago. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We come into the reign of Christ by trusting him, by putting our faith in him, by confessing that we're in Adam and we want to be in his son. So that's what we're talking about, live in the life-giving reign of Christ. So I'm going to give you four ways or four images that the Bible gives us to, to really illustrate what does it mean to live in his reign? What does it mean to move from the reign of Adam to the reign of Christ? What are some language we can give to that? The first one is birth, to be born again. This is why this language is so important. You are born once into the human line of Adam and you face sin and death. And so when Jesus comes along, he says, you need to be born again. You need something new to happen to you. This is Jesus talking in John 3. And Jesus, a, a, a religious teacher is asking, asking him questions in Nicodemus and says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Seeing something new has to happen. That's why we're, we're born into the race of Adam. We're born again into the line of Christ. It's we're born by the water and the Spirit. We confess, we're baptized, we're washed. We have spiritual life come upon us. You know, when you have these new little babies and grandbabies and you hold them and there they are, they're new. Nothing's started yet. Nothing's happened yet. There's whole life's in front of them. And that's the picture of you coming to Christ. You're new. You have a whole new life to live for him in his presence and one that doesn't end in death. So that's image one, to be born again. Image two is the language of adoption. Adoption. Where that's where the parent specifically says, I'm looking for a child. I want a child. I'm going to go through the legal proceedings to have this child, whether it's from international or from the foster care system. And you just say, 
I want a child. I always love that. Because sometimes parents set out to want a child, and sometimes a child appears. And, you know, it's kind of different planning in different moments. But adoption is a very, you don't just sort of wind up adopting, right? Like, I woke up one day and I adopted. No, no, you went through a whole lot of paperwork and a whole lot of background checks because you said, I want that child. And I love that imagery of what Christ went through to say, I want you in my family. So I'm not going through background checks. I'm going to a cross because you're going to be in my family. We're going to see that in Romans 8. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that son's language is inclusive of men and women, meaning adoption as sons who receive full inheritance, full rights in the family. It doesn't mean only men are adopted. It means men and women, boys and girls that come into Christ, receive the inheritance and the welcome into the family as if they were the sons. You're adopted as the sons. You cry, Abba, Father. That's beautiful language. When you move into Christ, you're adopted. You're born again. You're adopted. You're transferred out of one into the other. So the language of transfer. Colossians 1, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? It's, as if, it's as if there's just the earth is split and there's a huge chasm and you're in Adam and you're in death and you can't jump the gap. And he just says, I'm just going to move you from that kingdom to my kingdom. You're redeemed. You're set free. Your sins are forgiven. I've transferred you over here. The final image I'll give is a new name. A new name. When you come to Christ... You take on a new name. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you're taking on the name. In the scriptures, the name of God was often given as his, his full authority is in the name. Uh, many Jews to this day refer to God as the name. They don't say a name, they just say the name, the name, the authority, the power of God all resides in his name. And when you're baptized, you're baptized into his name. The name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is your father. He is your savior. He is your counselor. You are forever identified. Be much like a, when a wife of the marries takes the name of the husband. I'm in his family. I'm taking the full name of that when we all come to christ all people men and women are called the bride of christ so we take his name his identity and that's life so this is where we want to be we want to live in the life giving reign of christ if you already know jesus this is just a moment of just wonderful rejoicing thank you for transferring me thank you for what we celebrated let me live for you let me share this good news and if you're here and you're going, I'm not. If you're born a human, you're born into the reign of Adam, whether you like it or not. That's how we're born. And we need to be transferred to Jesus' kingdom. You need to be born again. You need to be adopted. You need to be transferred. You need to be renamed. You need to be in Christ. And you do it by saying, I believe in you. I trust you.